0: I feel like I have learned in this process that I am indeed enough for my children. I'm actually exactly what my children need, Uh, flaws and warts and all. And that as long as I believe that firmly and hold on to that firmly, I can move from that place and we can face whatever life throws at, at us.
1: Hi, I'm Bridget Garsh. Co founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm beyond excited to sit down with Loira Limbo, Senior Vice President of Firelight Media, documentary filmmaker, and DJ. When I heard about the premise of Loira Limbo's documentary, I knew we needed to get her on the show. Through the Night is a documentary that explores the personal cost of our modern economy through the stories of two working mothers and a childcare provider whose lives intersect at a 24-hour daycare. Neighbor Schools is constantly trying to highlight the selfless, incredibly hard work of childcare providers, and we were so excited to hear about Loira's documentary that will be released in May 2021 on PBS. But not only is Loira the director of this incredibly important film, she's also the mom of two and has so many wise words about being a working mom. Growing up, Loira was the oldest of four and she spent a lot of time translating for her mom and helping out with her younger siblings. Like so many women, her mom had to work to provide for the family, but she also needed childcare in order to work. Today, Loira's financial situation is different than her mother's was, but as she raises her two children, she still doubts herself. My mom made it work on so much less. How dare you complain or struggle given your circumstances? What do I have to complain about? In answering that question, she's embraced a new mindset and worked to channel her mother's strength. If my mom can do it, I can do it too. And Loira has done it all from directing documentaries while working a full time job and continuing her passion as a DJ and being a single mother to two kids. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. Well, thank you for having me. Of course, I was really so thrilled to learn a little bit about your most recent project through the night, and I want to hear more. I would love to hear all about it.
0: Sure. Um, So, through the night is a an intimate portrait of the community um, at a twenty four hour daycare center in New Rochelle, New York, and we follow. Two working mothers: uh, Shanona, who is a pediatric ER nurse and works the night shift; Marisol, who uh, is a mother of two and works three part-time jobs; uh, and then Nunu and her husband Patrick, who care for their children and the children of many other working parents at at a home-based twenty-four-hour uh, daycare center. And so, it's the the film is. Um, is a portrait of their lives, um, their relationships, uh, their challenges, uh, and the ways uh, that they uh, come together to provide support for each other as a community.
1: When did you start working on this project?
0: Uh, we started filming in 2016. So it's been a little bit of, you know, a little over four years of the journey of making the film.
1: And what is the status of the film now? What part of the process are you in?
0: Yeah, we are actually, so we finished the film and were set to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival earlier this year in April. Obviously, that did not happen because of the pandemic. The film will eventually be on uh, POV, on PBS, next year in May. Uh, so right now the film is available for viewing through film festivals, and uh, all of that information is, is on our website, which is just throughthenightfilm.com.
1: Where did this idea for the film come from? Well,
0: I read an article one day uh, that was shared on a mother's group that I'm a part of online. And the article was looking at the fact that people in the US, uh, many people in the US now have to work more than one job to make ends meet, or you know, and or those jobs often require uh, non-standard hours, you know, irregular hours, just sort of really looking at um, the state of labor in mm-hmm. the US um, and the fact that women are, already um, over 40% of the, the workforce. Uh, and so then the question was sort of like, well, then who takes care of people's kids? You know, if they're working all the time, if they're working on weekends or at nighttime. And when I read the article, the stories in it reminded me of my mother and my own childhood because my mother uh, raised us. I'm the oldest of four. Grew up in New York City. Uh, she a single mother, and she was a home health aide. Mm-hmm. So she worked the night shift too. She worked from eight pm to eight am. Uh, and as the oldest child, uh, I was her right hand in many ways, and ended up uh, taking care of my siblings a lot uh, when babysitters would cancel or family would flake. And you know, she she didn't work the kind of job where she could just call out last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, you know, she was often put in a position where she had to decide to leave me at the time I was nine, home alone with my infant sister to to care for her. Um, You know, and I know that that's like a, you know, you say it out loud and it sounds like shocking. Um, But my mother, you know, is a great mother, super devoted, like hardworking, loving. She just didn't have many options. Uh, and therefore had to make impossible decisions to figure out how to keep us alive and provide for us and, you know, walk that very fine line. And and sadly, the same is true today. Mm -hmm. Um, Things have not changed. um, And they certainly have not changed in working class, black and Latino communities. Uh, We still force mothers uh, and particularly single mothers to make impossible decisions, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and the irony of it all, of course, now is that we now know that these are exactly the people that are essential workers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We know that these are the people whose, whose labor we literally cannot do without. And we treat them so cruelly, you know, as a society. So that's, you know, it came from a very personal place, the desire to want to tell this story. Uh, because I wanted to make something that You know, I could think like, you know, my mother's in her 60s and had never seen a film that was really about her lived experience, you know. Um, And these stories don't get told, they don't get shared. And this is the reality for so many working class women of color. And so I I made it, you know, with, with my mother in mind, with myself in mind, my neighbors, you know, the people I grew up with in mind.
1: How has your mom reacted to the film? Has she seen it yet?
0: Yes, uh, she saw it. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's been actually really emotional, um, the reaction. I think um, it, it prompted some conversations between she and I about that time period in our mm-hmm. lives, things that we had not revisited in a very long time. Um, you know, and it it's it's been emotional opening some of that back up and you know, now being able to have that conversation as a woman who is a mother myself, you know, um, and looking sitting together and looking back, you know, at those days and at those impossible choices and you know, and then considering like what the effects of those things or the impacts were, you know. And, has been really profound. I feel like there's been a a, a, a lot of healing mm. that has been happening uh, as mm-hmm. a result, which I did not expect. I that I did not foresee, uh, but I think that it is it is the power of something that you said at the top of just uh, how powerful it is to hear other people's stories, particularly if they are people uh, who you can see yourself in. To have that mirror, you know, it becomes an invitation to to reflect, you know, uh, which is so valuable when you live, you know, in, in a life or in a situation where there isn't a whole lot of room, you know, to reflect, um, to kind of process your feelings and your experiences, you know, um, or to even just center yourself, right? Which as mothers or caregivers that's always a huge challenge, right? Like there isn't a whole lot of room for self in that experience of caregiving. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's been really profound.
1: Well, I feel like it's also so much of when you become a parent yourself, it makes you think about your own childhood so differently. I know when I had um, my first son, That I just came to appreciate, I think, my parents and the choices that they were grappling with or the challenges that they had to face in raising a child. And those can be small or those can be enormous, but you don't fully understand until you're you're living that experience and that that situation. I'm curious to hear how. Becoming a mom yourself may have caused you to to think about your your childhood and your upbringing.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, certainly. I, I know for me, um, I think so much of my identity growing up as a child was tied to being um, useful and helpful uh, because my mother needed my help. Uh, you know, I also, uh, our family is from the Dominican Republic. My mother to this day is still not fluent in English. Uh, and so I was the front for the family. You know, I was like the one that was having the conversations with all the different agencies or places or institutions that we had to interface with, uh, because I spoke English and she didn't. Um, and so I think I in that I took on this role of like my being my mother's protector to some degree, even though I was a child, like I understood that like this world didn't quite see my mother the way that I saw her and, you know, disrespected her. And, you know, so I was like, I'm the front and you know, I'll be the buffer. Um, and now, you know, as because of that, sort of becoming, being such a key part of of my identity growing up, I think being a single working parent myself, um, the, the challenge for me has been understanding that even though my circumstances, my life circumstances and my financial situation is much better than my mother's was when she was raising us, that, it is still okay for things to be difficult. It is still okay for me to feel challenged. It's still okay for me to feel like I'm failing. And that that means that I need help, you know, and learning to ask for help uh, has been probably like the most critical thing, right, of like, for me, at least be, in, in becoming a parent. And it's it's shifted my idea of who i am because i saw myself as i was the rock that could Mm -hmm. help and now i no longer feel like the rock i feel like the one that needs help you know and that kind of just having that your sense of yourself the be completely broken down and having to like rebuild yourself with another story about who you are you know another narrative has been hard uh I, I think, though, ultimately, it's healthy and good, you know, in the long run. Um, and so in that, like, I feel like I'm constantly thinking about my childhood and thinking about how my mother did it and kind of comparing and contrasting. You know, sometimes in negative ways. Sometimes I'm like, "Oh Lord, I like why are you making such a big deal out of this? Figure it out. It's fine. Your mother did it with so much less, so she she did this, and mm-hmm. you know, you're over here whining and complaining. You have it so much easier. I have a lot of that kind of internal dialogue. You know, uh, that that pipes up because I'm constantly thinking about, you know, uh, my childhood and her her parenting. You know. Uh, and thinking about what would she do and you know and, and when things come up with my children now you know sort of um, and I think i'm evolving i'm com- coming sort of to a place where i'm not using the fact that i have more privilege and access than my mother did to shut myself down i think what i'm what it's becoming for me is like if my mother did it i can do it
1: Mm. like an inspiration rather than a a measuring stick of I should be doing
0: right like remember that time period when we were going through that mommy did it she got through it and okay that means that like I just gotta keep putting one foot in front of the other you know and if you show up and you're present, like, I will figure it out. And, and if, if I try something and it doesn't work, I'll pivot and figure something else out. But, like, I got to figure this out. Because <laughs> that's the thing with parenting, right? Like, you can't quit. Your only other option is to figure out how to keep showing up, right? And how to keep moving forward, even in the, in the face of fear and uncertainty and difficulty and all of that stuff.
1: Were you making films at the time? Were you DJing? What were you doing when you had each of your
0: kids? Yeah, I was, um, I had finished my first film. Uh, I was definitely DJing, I was DJing a lot. And uh, and then I I also was working a full-time job uh, at the company that I still work at. Uh, It's Firelight Media, uh, which produces films and also supports emerging filmmakers of color working in nonfiction. Uh, so, I was already at Firelight and uh, yeah, so I was sort of juggling all three, but I was definitely within film and, and music when I uh, had my first son and, and then my daughter as well.
1: It sounds like you were juggling a lot and you continue to juggle a lot. How did you make that juggle work initially and how has that changed over time as they've gotten older? Yeah,
0: I think um, initially I would say I definitely had periods of time where I cut back on one or more things. Um I also when I was pregnant with my son, uh it was a somewhat of a high risk pregnancy and I was very scared, you know, of mm. losing uh the, the pregnancy and uh so I feel like with him and after he was born, I was sort of like in ostrich mode, you know, because I was like trying to make sure that, you know, that he was born. And then when my daughter was born, the opposite happened. Something clicked for me of like, yes, you have to, your children are your priority. But if you want, your, if you want to teach your children that their happiness is their own responsibility, you have to model that for them. It's not enough for you to tell them that. Hmm. Um, They have to see me doing it. And I think something about having a girl really made that click for me of, you know, if she sees me, her mother who like loves to DJ and who loves to make films and I'm not doing any of those things, you know, I'm working a nine to five job, a job that I do love and I believe in, but, you know, it's also not you know to have my my artistic practices if she grows up seeing this as the model this is what she's going to think is the model right of like what you're supposed to do when you're a woman or if you become a mother um and so a few months after she was born i DJed my first gig and and that had been my first gig in a few years and then i sort of started uh djing again um and uh yeah. And then, you know, and then a few years ago, started working on this film, even though I was trying to convince myself that I didn't have time to really work on a film. I, I spent a good two years. So it, it took four years to make it. But there were two years before that where I had the idea and was trying to talk myself out of the idea. Um, because, you know, again, I was like, there's not enough time. Um, but it was something that just was I, I, I could not let it go it it wouldn't it wouldn't leave me alone the Mm -hmm. idea wouldn't leave me even though i tried to talk myself out of it um and i i I am someone that does believe that like we we all come we have purpose right there's like purpose in life and um i think if you're if you get close to figuring out what your purpose is that gravitational pull of that is so strong, you know, that it's like almost completely like irresistible, um, which is how I feel about filmmaking um, in my life.
1: It reminds me of their a children's book called What Do You Do With an Idea? Have you ever read it? Mm-mm. It's a beautiful story about a little kid who has this idea, and the idea is the shape of an egg in the illustration, but it's all about how, When he's with the idea, it grows and makes him feel more alive and it's getting bigger and he loves to pay attention to it and help foster it and how at one point though, he's scared and he doesn't know what to do with the idea. So he tries to walk away from it, but it follows him and keeps coming back. And as you're sharing this story of this idea was there and you kept trying to push it away or think about all the other competing things in your life, it sounds, it sounds similar. Um, But when you have that idea and it won't leave you, you have to do something with it. And ultimately the spoiler is the idea, you know, bursts forth and then the idea is not just with the little kid, it's everywhere and it's in the Mm. world. And what you do with an idea is you change the world. Oh, that's beautiful. It's a great, it's a great story. And it reminds me of your work because what you're doing is you are changing the world. You're telling this story. You're bringing it forth to so many people who probably have never thought about this before mm-hmm. at all.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, obviously uh, we started m- working on this film a while ago, um, and these are women that I've always seen as essential, right? They've been essential in my life, but very aware that society does not see them as essential. And then now to be in this moment, releasing it in this pandemic moment where there is this language of essential worker and literally all of the main characters in the film are essential workers, you know? known um, as the nurse, so she's been working Throughout the entire pandemic, these seven months, you know, on the front lines at a hospital, Marisol works for a supermarket supplier. Mm-hmm. So she's been working six days a week, this entire pandemic. And Nunu and Patrick have not closed the daycare, that one of the few daycares that has remained open because they care for the children of essential workers. So literally everyone in the film is an essential worker. And I, didn't make the film in a COVID-19 context and couldn't have never imagined, right? Um, of course. But I think that's the piece, right? When you have something that is this sort of purposeful idea that this is kind of how things work out, right? Like, I have a film that's about essential workers, even though I made it way before COVID-19 was even a thought on anyone's minds, you know?
1: You've touched on this a little, but I'm curious to hear how your motherhood has inspired your work.
0: Hmm. My experience has been that there is a parallel between what mothering requires and what creates creative art, artistic work requires. Uh, both of these things force you to face yourself And to face the kind of deepest parts of yourself, you know, both the light and the shadows within you. And to go there, deal with it, process it, move through it to do something, right? Um, And for me, what often happens was that I I found like if I was confronting some sort of serious challenge on the home front, you know with one or both of my children um the kind of the exercise of having to be raw and vulnerable and and tr- real like understanding like this is an issue and i as much as i don't want this to be the case this is what it is and like facing things you know head on that come up with your children um And then understanding, well, I have to find a way forward for us, and I have Mm. to find a way to give my children what they need in this situation. And and if I'm not, if I can't give it to them, I have to find somebody who can't. Like, I I have to figure this out, right? That those kinds of muscles that you gain in that kind of exercise are super applicable to the creative process where you're like, scared to death that you've gotten something wrong or you're not going to do it right or that your vision is irrelevant or not resonant or that you're going to fail or that you're going to let people down or that like you're not even you know these are things in my head right later you're not even really a filmmaker like you made one film a long time ago what are you right you know all these sort of, sort of insecurities and and then where the insecurities come from and right like you're doing I was doing it in my mothering and in my filmmaking, my mothering, and my filmmaking, and so like if I worked through something in the filmmaking, that muscle would become stronger, and I could apply it to the mothering, you know, and and then it got stronger here, and I could bring it back here, and it just was this sort of symbiosis, where I literally felt like, I, and I keep using the word muscle because I literally felt like, oh. I just want I know I I know what muscle this situation requires mm. on set cuz I just use this muscle with my 7-year-old at home or I just use that muscle with my co-parent you know um or whatever right and then I could apply it in this other situation where I was scared you know and fear perhaps was threatening to paralyze me and so I I see the two as being very uh, symbiotic. Um, And I also think that one of the key things that I've I try to practice um, in my mothering is listening and really understanding that my kids, you know, now they're seven and nine. They're no longer babies. Um, They have lots of words. They have lots of vocabulary. They have lots of opinions. And Um, that they are not copies of me. They're my children, but they're their own people. Uh, And that my job is to not necessarily, my job is not to shape them, but to guide them. Mm. And in order to guide them, I need to be able to fully like hear them, listen to them, behold them, witness them. Uh, And that doing that, or or trying, sometimes failing, right? Sometimes it's like, put your whatever on, because I said so. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to, everything's not a negotiation. We're not going to, discuss, you know, whatever, right? But for the most part, I I do lead with that intention in my Mm -hmm. mothering, even if I don't always achieve it. That that is really great for communication with anybody, because... Most people's, like, our, our greatest need in communication is to be heard, you know. And most conflicts that arise between people are a result of some sort of fear on the on somebody's part. It's fear that, you know, then will manifest as anger or defensiveness or whatever. Um, and then usually the fear is, like, manifesting because the person doesn't feel heard. And so there is this way in which, like, in my creative practice or my professional settings, I sometimes, like, I will notice the dynamics of of a situation, and I'll be like, okay, later, like, how would you deal with this if this was your (laughs) nine-year-old? And I will use that and show up that way, and it usually is really helpful, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But I generally believe that there are these things that are super like core and simple and basic tenets of good communication that are a lot easier to exercise with children because it is about the thing. It is about the actual issue, you know, the conflict or the tantrum or whatever, you know. They
1: they don't bring that emotional sort of baggage yeah. or perspective yeah. with them they they certainly aren't yeah. holding on to something for eight weeks yeah uh
0: and and because of that too the other piece of it you know which is connected to saying like my job is to guide them not to mm. you know mold them or you know anything like that is the piece around like because they're so genuine Uh, And so kind of true to themselves and just like transparent, like this is what it is, whether it's rational or not. Um, I don't, it's easier for me to check my ego. Mm. Like it doesn't become, it doesn't become a tit for tat. And having the experience of exchanges with them where I get to check my ego and, and check like, well, why are you what uh, what are you even doing right now like are you just trying to like dominate and just get your way ultimately you know or like conquer and then when you like realize that that's sort of what i'm defaulting to because i'm the parent you know i i kind of like checks me because i'm like that that's not what i want to do with my kids i don't want to like dominate and like crush their spirits you know um and so also seeing how and when I default into that, I can also check myself when I'm defaulting into that with adults, you know? So it's, a, it's again, it's like muscles, you know, it's this sort of experience and insight that you gain from mothering, which I think is truly applicable to everything and anything in life. You know, in my case, I find it to be very useful for creative work. Um, But I think, you know, that's like the irony, right? That like society penalizes mothers in some ways, at least in terms of careers and leadership and all these other things. When in fact, we could all really benefit from the wisdom and the experience and the insight that mothers bring, you know, to to life and to everything that they do.
1: You so beautifully just explained how much you learn about the world really uh, when you become a mom and how much you've learned along the way about your yourself. What advice would you give to your pre-mom self? Mm.
0: That's a good question. Oh, I don't even remember my pre-mom self. (laughs) What would I have said to her? I think the advice would be to say, you are enough. You are enough. You are enough for the children that you will have. You are enough for whatever it is that you set out to do. Um, You are enough. That has also been a a realization that has come from working working on the film and mothering at the same time. Back to the symbiosis of it all. Um, I feel like I have learned in this process that I am indeed enough for my children. I'm actually exactly what my children need uh, flaws and warts and all. And that as long as I believe that firmly and hold on to that firmly, I can move from that place and we can face whatever life throws at, at us, you know, as a team. And then like for this film, like I had a lot of fears about not being able to see it through because of the juggling act. And um, and it turns out that like I was enough for the film. You mm-hmm. know, I was enough for the vision. And so I would say that, that's the advice, like you are enough.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with me and sharing your truly beautiful words. Um, I can't wait to share this episode with everybody. They're going to be really lucky to to have just a little bit of time with you like I have. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Garsh and this is Work Like a Mother. I'm excited to share another amazing working mama story with you next week. But before I go, I have a quick favor to ask please help us spread the word by giving us five stars on Apple podcasts. It's the best way for more working moms to discover our show. Thanks and have a great week.